Get everybody in the mood. Yeah, everybody <laughs> in the mood. Hello, Soul Questers. Thanks so much for joining us today on this episode, a very special episode, as a matter of fact. My name is Jesse. I'm your host today, and I am joined by my husband. Hello, everybody. How Omar, are you doing? And our very, very special guest, Dr. Brian Ruther. All right. It's great to be here. Yay. Yeah. You can call me Brian. Uh, <laughs> gonna- How about Dr. Brian? Can we call you Dr. Brian? Uh, that's fine. Yeah, let, that's yeah fine. Let, let's do Dr. Okay. Brian. I like that. <laughs> you are our very first guest, you know? And it's an absolute delight to be here. Yeah, we, we've, we've wanted you to be here. We wanted you to be our first guest. Yeah, I think that's that, why this is a very special episode. Yes. Good, good, good. good. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, so, um, yeah, we've been looking forward to, towards this. I know that we've we spoken off camera uh, regarding uh, a soul's quest and and your ideas and things like that. So, uh, to get started, I really just want to get to know. Let's get to know you a little bit. What led you to, what led you to be a doctor? Doctor. Well, what kind of a, doctor yes, are you? And what yeah. kind of doctor are you? Yes. Right. So I'm I'm a clinical psychologist. Um, so I have a doctorate in clinical psychology, and the road that. It, that I took to be able to get to getting a doctor in clinical psychology is, is, a, is a rather long road. I mean, it's a, it's a very significant commitment. It's a lot of time, energy, but you have to have a really deep passion for humanity mm-hmm. uh, to be, I think, a good psychologist. And, you know, one of the things that was always very much important to me growing up um, as well as through my entire life is really just understanding or trying to understand or attempting to understand what people are going through Mm -hmm. and how to help them on their particular path or journey so they can get where they, they need or want or aspire to go. Um, So, I mean, I didn't, wasn't always set on being a psychologist. Mm -hmm. Um, I think uh, just like many folks, you know, Growing up as a child, you wanted to be one thing or another. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually uh, come from a law enforcement background. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah. So my family uh, is from law enforcement, and so that was sort of like the um, the accepted. Uh, I wouldn't say encouraged path necessarily, but mm-hmm. it was sort of like, well, you know, your father, uh, his brothers are going that path. Perhaps that's one that. I should go too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So it was like a path already designed uh, uh, traditionally in your household. So you were more keen to follow that. So, so, so what? Um, so, what made you more inquisitive? Like, what happened in your journey in your quest that that kind of took you a little bit away and deviated you a little bit away from that path of of um, uh, traditional law enforcement and things of that nature. Yeah, I think one of the um, first I want to know did they did you get any pressure? I know that you said that they didn't sort of like did, but they did. They encouraged that because everybody was on that. Like you know, when your dad's like a, a carpenter, 
then you yeah. should be a carpenter. And so did they like pressure you at all? Or I can't imagine your parents doing that, but no. It, uh, so it was actually quite the opposite. Okay. Um, my father through our conversations had, had actually had kind of dissuaded me from going that route. Oh. Um, but uh, you know, he, he very much left it up to me as far as kind of what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important to um, first talk about like, where what led me down that path to go to go through in my interest in law enforcement mm-hmm. was that we oftentimes gravitate towards things that we're comfortable with. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And so that was something I grew up with. It was around all the time. Mm-hmm. And so that just seemed to be like a path that was already blazed, so to speak. Right. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. And so like it was comfortable in a certain way, mm-hmm. right? That So that I think it's important to kind of establish that because I think we gravitate towards those particular uh, parts of our life. Um, now, when I went to university, I went to the University of Central Florida. All right. Uh, go, go, go Knights, Knights right? Go yeah. Knights. Yeah. Yeah. Go Knights. <laughs> and uh, while I was there, I, you know, I, was, I was interested in criminal justice and criminology, mm-hmm. and that was really what my main focus was going to be. And I was interested in, in kind of continuing past the bachelor's degree into, you know, kind of getting a master's degree. I mean, it was, okay. uh, education was very much encouraged in my household. Okay. My father has two master's degrees. Oh, wow. Does he really? Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Uh, and my mother has a bachelor's degree and, you know, she's an educator herself. Right. right? So this is, this is a very, you know, very, education was a very important aspect of, of my life growing up. Right. And that was something that was certainly expected. Yeah. You know, right. Mm-hmm. So if you think about sort of expectations, it's like, you're going to go to college, you're going to, and I was very fortunate, right, uh, right. to be able to go, um, go to college and go to university, go away to university. I know mm-hmm. a lot of people don't have that opportunity. Right. Um, so very privileged in that sense. When I was, when I was at the uh, University of um, Central Florida, uh, I started to become interested in I would say I started, that's where my psychological interest started, mm. really. Um, and I think that uh, part of that was because I didn't want to go into maybe local law enforcement, but I was interested in more like state or federal law enforcement. Right? Yeah. So I want to be like an FBI agent, <laughs> you know? Why is it that all yeah. boys, when they're going to get into law enforcement, that's what, because Omar had the same experience. Yeah. He wanted to be an FBI agent. Yeah, he wanted, yeah. that was it for him. Yeah. Yeah. What's up with that? Um, it's just a thing. I don't know. To me, it was Point Break. Point Break did it for me, you know. <laughs> you know. You know, it was, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it wasn't quite that for you. It's just a thing. Yeah, I think that it was, there was kind of, it was a couple things, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I think part of it is, is that it was a way that I could sort of start to differentiate myself from my family because they were local law enforcement. Okay. Yeah. That would be one way I could start to go down my own path. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, while also staying within that same wheelhouse. Yeah, you know. So, so th- it's interesting that you mentioned that because even at at that time you were you were conscious that that you felt safe in that environment, yeah. but you also felt that you had to go and blaze your own path. Yeah, I think that's also a product of me being a first firstborn. Oh, okay. Of you know, so there's the kind of like this tarrying back and forth with this idea of like wanting to make the family proud mm-hmm. while also uh, being a bit of a trailblazer. I have sibling, I have, a, I have one sibling of a, of a younger sister, right? Okay. So there's, there's like that part too. So you want to make the family proud, the family name, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's also this interest in, 
you know, uh, a little bit of a rebellious streak in you kind of thing. You that know? And, um, I mean, parenthetically, I, uh, in high school and into my early college years, I kind of identified as a uh, little bit of a, of a punk rocker, if you will, <laughs> playing music and stuff like that. So I had a little bit of that rebellious, you know, um, that rebellious streak in me. It's the nineties yeah. punk attitude. I, for, I can see that. In yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And that, and that manifests actually in a lot of aspects of my, of my life. So it's very interesting that there's that kind of like very much rebellious part of myself that I think is embodied in all, in, in a lot of sort of that youthful teenage, you know, mm-hmm. um, trying to sort of, separate yourself from the family to a certain right yeah yeah blaze yeah. your own path and find your own self now yeah. what do you think that comes from because a lot of the times we learn behaviors like that our our, our need for independence you know it's a natural uh, impulse so to speak I, but did you see that in your parents as well yeah i mean so i you know my my parents were they were absolutely wonderful parents and uh, they i mean they are absolutely wonderful parents to this day and you know the, there's this this sort of, um, I would say, this dichotomy, this like mm-hmm. dialectic, if you will. In other words, like this really two perspectives. There's this kind of like this rebellious streak of kind of doing your own thing, mm-hmm. but there's also this like aspect of order. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, my mother's a school teacher, right? And that has a certain kind of order to it. Correct. Right. You know, Definitely. follow yeah. the rules. Yeah. My father's Definitely. a law enforcement officer. <laughs> I mean, come on, upholding societal yeah. rules, right? Correct. So you see that sort of like back and forth, right? That, mm-hmm. that, uh, um, that, uh, dialectic if you will kind of going back and forth and i was attempting to kind of synthesize that right like in one sense playing music or you know kind of trying to go my own pathway while also you know doing the thing you should do go to college make your parents proud those kinds yeah 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 Yeah. that's that's a i I like that uh the parallel because you wanted to identify yourself but you still had um so a good core foundation as to um um, um, which direction you wanted to take. Right. So, so leading into so, the ad. Yeah. So yeah. what was, what, how did you, you said that you took that turn into getting the, you were interested in psychology. So then. Yeah, I was interested in psychology. And I think my interest was um, sort of, it started, it, it started to st- like a budding interest in mm. the criminal mind, you know? Okay. And I think part of this also, you know, there's like this, um, how do you say like, cultural phenomenon like in television of like you know almost in a sense um glamorizing essentializing essentializing yeah. right yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. yeah that whole thing so yeah. it's like you know understanding why the you know the, the person does the crime the mm-hmm. way they do it or something mm-hmm. like yeah. that and that was very exciting you know oh, what's happening it is exciting actually right. said, i love watching those that? crime shows and like unsolved mysteries and stuff like that yeah. like we watch those documentaries and we're you like what? what is going on with these people why is jeffrey dammer like having dinner and fun- eating brains and it's yeah that's super yeah. super interesting uh, yeah. okay i don't yeah. wasn't thinking that but it's super interesting <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so then that led me kind of t- interest in in what we would consider forensic psychology right okay. so there's like this sort of interfacing between uh psychology and what we might consider law enforcement or the law in some mm-hmm. in some capacity and i had this sort of fantasy of maybe becoming a criminal profiler even though mm. I, I i certainly knew that those jobs were certainly far, few and far between. Yeah, like, they? You know. Yeah. I didn't know that. 
Yeah. And so I was interested in, in fact, when I was at UCF, I got a criminal profiling certificate. Oh. It was with something, a group of classes they offered, you know, to, to um, kind of specialize in or whatever. So that was the idea um, in that direction. So you could start to see like the connection between criminal justice and psychology there. Mm-hmm. Now at the, uh, the very tail end of my bachelor's degree, I worked with um, another professor who wasn't associated with uh, the University of Central Florida with another state university. Okay. And this um, brilliant professor was really interested in what was, was considered crime analysis. And so what we're interested in that sense is um, it's like a crime analysis is kind of a branch of criminology where you're looking at not necessarily why a person commits a crime, but you're looking at particular areas or targets and why is this particular store store mm-hmm. or shop or neighborhood crime prone mm-hmm. so you're looking at environmental factors exactly okay. yeah mm-hmm. environmental factors it was okay. almost it was basically basically environmental factors alone okay and so a lot of that that work has to do with uh, understanding like okay and one of the big things that we were focusing on was a lot of the um the construction crimes that were happening in um you know, the local town at the time. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we saw that, uh, you know, if if there weren't lights on, right, if there was low surveillance, those places were more prone to being targeted by, uh, you know, uh, people stealing. The burglar, right. exactly. yeah. More criminal yeah. activity. More, yeah. more yeah. criminal, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that was, um, that was an interesting thing. So I actually worked um, as an intern for a police department um, doing crime analysis stuff. So I would actually would like, produce briefings for like the uh, the road folks and the sergeants and oh. everything that's like these are where the hot spots are we call them hot spots so yeah yeah and it's like well you know one of the ways that we can harden those particular targets is perhaps having uh, a law enforcement officer go by mm-hmm. right? on a regular basis or perhaps put a spotlight up mm-hmm. you know uh, or a camera. It didn't even matter if the camera was plugged in, right? It was the, it was the perception it's of the pers- surveillance. I was going to say, yeah. yeah. Right. They see a camera, they think they're being Yeah, yeah. and this reminds me of what happened in New York a lot. Um, um, there was a movement, I think it was Giuliani, that, yeah. you know, the broken windows, make sure the windows are fixed and make sure yeah. that everything looks great uh, because environments in which were damaged like that, like the South Bronx when I was going yep. up, that were more prone to... It attracts criminal it attracts activity. Criminal, yeah. criminal activity sure. because if it looks run down, then yeah. they're going to, yeah. There's less, right. there's less supervision Definitely. Yeah. yeah i'm glad you brought up the broken windows because that was like a, one of the classic mm-hmm. pieces of literature that we, that we read in, mm-hmm. in relation to that um particular sort of environmental criminology one thing i realized though was that while you were able to reduce crime in you know particular areas because of the target hardening mm-hmm. you didn't solve the crime issue you you displaced the crime yeah and it went in other places <laughs> mm-hmm. you know and That's I had true. a I had a little bit of an issue with that, and you saw that, and you just brought up New York, mm-hmm. right? And so they clean up Manhattan. But, yes, everything was right. to the other bars. Yeah, yeah that's of right, course. exactly. And so I asked the question. I said, "So it seems like we're just displacing crime. We're just sending it other places, right?" Mm-hmm. I'm kind of interested in what causes the person to commit the crime mm-hmm. in the first place, mm-hmm. and this is where I start to think about some of the uh, socioeconomic issues that are related to it. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the um, access to resources issues, right? That kind of stuff of de- human development. Yeah. And I asked this question, and I remember getting the answer. Well, that, we don't really deal with the sort of the, the individual psychological aspect of it. And at that moment, I was like, uh-huh. 
that's what I got to be interested in. Oh, I have to be interested in the why, mm. uh, you know, what drives a person to, I mean, commit a crime maybe immediately in that context, but mm. that, uh, that expanded beyond that, you know, mm -hmm. to the, to the sort of what causes anybody to do anything, you mm -hmm. know, sort of the, uh, you know, human, human behavior, the human mind in general. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and that I like to touch on that just a little more because, um, um, that's kind of one of those crossroads in life that, that leads you in different ways. You know, what do you attribute that, 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 that need to ask why, you know, because that's something that a lot of people, I think they feel and they want to follow, but we're afraid, you know, you had the courage to be able to say, you know what, I am not going to really follow the path that I know works. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you did it in a rebellious way, not because you wanted to rebuild against what you were brought up, but because you were inquisitive enough. What do you attribute that? Because that moment, it, it, and that's what I look for in when we discuss the soul's quest, and there are moments like that, that you ask that question, and you had that courage to follow it. What do you attribute that to? So I actually, it, I, I think that this is one of those perennial, like existential questions that human beings have to grapple with. And we yeah. can talk, you know, about, you know, why human being interested in, is interested in those particular questions. Like, you know, we're aware that we won't be here anymore, right? right. Yeah. One day, you know, yeah. like wherever our own mortality. Um, we... Uh, have this drive to make sense of things. But I think one of the things that it really kind of boils down to for me is early on in development, mm -hmm. uh, I would say the the vast majority of, of children are both creative and curious. Mm -hmm. right. You know, think about the most powerful question a child asks or, <laughs> you know, the most powerful response a child learns, mm -hmm. right? No. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 Or, uh, you know, th when the child starts to explore their world, right. Which is basically day one yeah. in, in, in a variety of ways. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, then asking the question, I mean, it's almost a, it's, it's almost like common knowledge, right. That the child asking, why is the sky blue? Why is the grass? And green? then you explain it and they're like, but why, but why, but, but why, yeah, but they're why? so curious. Yeah. Definitely. And so I, so I think that, so based upon that, right, mm -hmm. like there has to be a, a kind of innate almost, uh, exist, I would say innate, not necessarily in a biological sense, but innate almost in like an existential sense, drive towards understanding the world we're thrown into. Correct. At that moment. Yeah. 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 Like it's a, yeah. So that yeah. question is, it, it, it's powerful. I think I, I, this, when you mentioned that it's, it, it's a, uh, it's for me personally, it's a topic that really makes or break a, a situation like that makes or break a person's life. Yeah. And, and that's not something to be lightly. And I understand the need. I think that we all have that is whether or not we listen to it. Is that something right. that you are able to see like in your practices and things? Well, a lot of people, if, if, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, if a lot of people when they're, when they're young and they start to get into their like college years or they're about to go into college, a lot of parents have expectations on their kids. Mm -hmm. And for example, your mom and dad could have pressured you into, you need to be a law enforcement officer. Right. And then at that moment you make that decision to like, I don't want to disappear. I'm, you know, I want to do what's right by my family. They're all law enforcement. I got to carry on this 
legacy, if you will, and you decided against that because you were encouraged to do what you want to do, but not, there are a lot of families that are not like that. That's right. Yeah. You know what I mean? There are families that will say you don't need to go to college or, you know, you don't need to, you know, you need to work, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so they drive that decision making aspect for that individual. So that inquisitiveness sort of dies or, or for the momentarily it it dies. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And if I could just comment on that, like it, if, at a very young age, we see this creativity and curiosity. And interestingly enough, um, Maslow, right, mm-hmm. with the hierarchy. Yep. Uh, one of the things that Maslow points out is that some of the ingredients, not all, but some of the ingredients to self-actualizing, right, it's kind of reaching your p- potential, involves creativity and curiosity. Yes, you absolutely. Know? And yes. it kind of, to your point, right, it happens on a variety of levels where that may be, in a sense, of trained out of somebody or kind of pushed to the side. Mm-hmm. It could be on the family level. It could right. be on the social level. Condition. Right. Social, Condition. So you, right. Yeah, you're talking yeah. primarily yeah. social conditioning, yeah. right. and, uh, culturally, uh, um, uh, uh, popular, pop, popular, all those different things. Um, education. Right. Yeah. As education, well. right, yeah. So all those things tend to... So how do you um would advise someone that's going through the process of education right um obviously you follow the um the school the school process and you you became a doctor but there's some people that are still able to get knowledge out of the world just by being inquisitive what would you suggest to them to do so i think there's really two parts to that two parts to answer that question first of all i think one aspect of it is is having a person listen to themselves, mm-hmm. right, and really listen to themselves. And that may involve perhaps you know being in 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 solitude or quiet or something like that. The other part of it is that I think as as other human fellow human beings, we can do a better job of listening to mm-hmm. people, right? yeah. And I think and empathically responding to them and really hearing them out to be able to help them or be able to facilitate um, their own discovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that really is like the kind of the framework, you know, yeah. to, to help somebody at least jumpstart, you know, there. Because it's not apparent to me that, you know, anybody that well, we might have those questions growing up, it may be so trained out of us yeah. by the time we get to a certain age, mm-hmm. right, that uh, we just may not even know that we have the ability to be able to even do that anymore, right? Mm-hmm. We might just resign ourselves to, life as it is and you know this is just what it's going to be and i can't move i feel stuck or trapped or whatever it might be so Mm -hmm. but isn't that something that like comes from and this is probably not i don't know if this is a good question but is it a parental responsibility if a parent is present to sort of guide their children and i know that what you're saying is like in some cases that's not that isn't, that doesn't happen. Right. You know, in my case, that didn't happen. Right. You know what I mean? Um, I was told I need to make money. I need to take care of myself at 18. We're done. You know, we don't have any more responsibility. You need to move on with yourself and take care of yourself, you know, which is fine. Like I don't condemn my parents for being that way, but my thought was, so I don't really need to go to college. I need to get a job right, right, to support right, myself. Right. So then is that, is that a parental responsibility? Is that something that Cause like I encourage my children, I gave them choices. You know what I mean? When they, when they were living with me, because we did, I shared with, you know, my ex-husband, I, we 
we had that where we would, you know, I, I gave them that choice and they made choices to go to school and get their degrees and whatnot. But I gave them that freedom to make the choice too. Right. So. I think you hit it right there. I think that's like, you know, as far as what is the parental responsibility, um, I think probably the best way of thinking about it is like your life is your own responsibility. Yeah. I mean, this is just really what it is. Okay. Um, now from a developmental standpoint, of course, like the parents are going to have play a significant role in that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think one of the best things that you can do from a social standpoint, whether it be a parental standpoint or as, us as, as um, fellow humans with, with uh, folks that we, we come across is really help folks um, increase their agency. And I, so I like what you said there, right? It's like being able to give them the conditions that are necessary for them to make a choice. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also being able to recognize what choices exist for them. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And it also recognizing the reality that there's a lot of things in life that you don't choose. Correct. Right. Yeah. And so, right. And, and, but you can always in a certain sense, choose the way you respond to mm -hmm. these particular situations. Mm -hmm. Now I, I kind of want to address, you know, the developmental thing in a little more detail because this yes. is something that is, is kind of very important to me clinically. You know, in my experience, it's, it's been the case that people may not be given the resources. And when I say resources, you know, I'm not just mean, you know, just the, um, encourage them to go to college or anything, mm -hmm. but they may not be given the resources or being given the encouragement or even given the, the, the peace of mind presence, the emotion, the skills or whatever for them to be able to be a functional person within society. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in a certain sense, like they may start behind the starting line from everybody else. Yeah. You know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is a reality to it. Right. And, but isn't, but sorry to interrupt, but again, from my perspective, not everyone's there, there is what it worth that starting line and and because it changes oh yeah you know yeah. i mean I, I i've seen people who are who are very affluent have but their uh, their children are are ping pong balls between two divorcing parents uh but they have everything to get started in life but their life is a disaster right um i've seen people and they're 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 stuck and they're not able to move on from that but there's also situations in which that child perseveres there's also on the other extreme uh, cases of extreme poverty mm -hmm. and extreme um, lack where people get stuck in that, but there's also many people that came out of that. So on an individual standpoint, wh where is the sense of responsibility on the individual? And then where is the sense of the, of the responsibility on the collective? Like where does those two, where does that, that, that tug of war <laughs> where does it where does it go because i mean it could go both ways but we you know we did an episode on evolution and one of the things is that each person has the responsibility to help the human race involve regardless of where they start right so how does a person justify that in their minds and how do they move forward uh in spite of all the obstacles because it keeps happening and it's right. uh, there's um there's many cases that show the opposite right i mean that's like the one of the perennial issues like in in psychology or mm -hmm. sociology you know where do you put the individual responsibility and where what's the responsibility of this of, of society um and i i think sometimes um we get 
kind of caught up in in a kind of a more like a political framework with with a lot of this stuff is concerned mm -hmm. and so like what i, I kind of want to what i want to address it in 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 really the context is that you know in a lot of ways your life is really your responsibility however from a social standpoint i think we have a kind of responsibility as well mm -hmm. so as much as the person has a responsibility society has a responsibility to itself correct uh in a in a, in a way right mm -hmm. and because after all people individuals right make up a society as well yeah. right so you know uh it's it's hard to know exactly where that line is mm -hmm. um but i think that one of the things that societies are really tasked with is being able to respond to and i'm just using this to respond to right to the members that are most in need mm -hmm. in some way and whether that need is a a, a um a basic need right whether that's a um a skills need mm -hmm. right or or if it's a meaning need you yeah. know i think that that's that's part of that that structure but that's one of those very difficult questions it is ask, uh, it to is. answer mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so we were asking you about your what led you to be a psychologist so you're you become a psychologist and um so you what were the when you became a psychologist what were you what, how did that start for you what where were you at at that point yeah so uh when i applied to graduate school i i kind of like threw a bunch of you know, uh, a bunch of applications in a variety of different places, you know, and clinical psychology is one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, I also still kind of had a, a possibility of going into um, like a criminology kind of background as well. And I, had, I ended up getting accepted into a, a clinical psychology doctoral program. So okay. that was like, oh, I'm going to go that route. Like, yeah. you know, so that's cool. So I went that route and I was initially interested in forensic psychology still, like I was still going to do that. And I think I was more at that point, I was interested in doing like police psychology, like helping police officers um, deal with the stressors, deal with PTSD mm -hmm. and those types of things. Then I came across uh, a really interesting individual my, became my mentor mm -hmm. um, who was a trauma specialist. And, and this is kind of where I got to the developmental piece, right? I saw that, you know, a lot of individuals may not be given the opportunities. Uh, and I, what I mean opportunities, not be, not the certain an upbringing, right. To be able to develop certain kinds of skills or relationships to be able to really maximize their functioning, mm -hmm. maximize their ability, or perhaps maybe even self-actualize in their life. And it really just struck me as pretty hard at that moment. Oh, you wow. Know? And, and that's when I kind of shifted my, my focus from, yeah, I don't know about the forensic psychology thing. I'm really interested in kind of human development, how people kind of grow and helping individuals be able to reach their maximal potential, especially for those who may be in a less than fortunate position. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm speaking most notably those who are survivors of trauma in trauma. childhood, right? Mm -hmm. So this is like neglect, abuse, those kinds of things. I mean, they're just, by the time they, if they survive to adulthood, mm -hmm. right, they oftentimes are in a very 
difficult, challenging position. They don't know. They may not know what trust looks like. Correct. They may not know what a healthy relationship looks like. Mm -hmm. They might find themselves turning to drugs and alcohol. And these kinds of things don't lend very well to you go get a job and be a functional member of society because how are you supposed to maintain a job when you don't really know what a healthy relationship looks like? Yeah. You know, uh, or you don't know really how to manage your own emotions, mm -hmm. you know, those kinds of things. So yep. that was just a really powerful experience for me. And I started working with those folks mm -hmm. and I saw how challenging and how gratifying it was to really help these individuals be able to, you know, hold their first job mm -hmm. or be able to feel in more in control of their emotions uh, or even better reach their full potential. Their potential. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that we talked about um, um, in an episode on evolution was that idea of, you know, um, or the, the, the idea of survival of the fittest. Right. You know, the, uh, we have a, we have taken that philosophy into our economic world. Um, in the way that we structure some aspects of our society. And I feel that there is an evolution of that changing. Um, why is it important for us to, as a society, as a, let me, ref not as just as a society, because I think our, uh, the scope of our world has changed. We are a global society. Um, uh, tribalism and separation is, is beginning to see irrelevant. Mm -hmm. So why is it important for us to be able to evolve to make our environment and other people uh, situations less painful so that they could also actualize their lives and the benefits to society that comes from that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, you know, as far as an evolution of, of, of humanity is concerned, I mean, one of the things that's like super interesting is that, you know, human beings continue to evolve, evolve biologically, but at mm -hmm. the same time, like, there's a kind of social engineering that human beings engage in. I mean, we're at a very interesting time yeah. point, right? In, in our development. I mean, we have certain uh, technologies like CRISPR, for example, that can alter genetics, mm. you know, splice genes, those types of things. We have um, the, the, you know, te the technology, computer technology, you know, uh, AI, AI, the yeah. creation of um, cyborgs might be in our future. Mm -hmm. I mean, and without being too futuristic, like going that that path, there's certainly this idea of like what it means to be a human. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, can certainly shift and change. Um, at the same time, like I think that there's there's also this. It's interesting because we we're we are moving towards a society of convenience. And, you know, and you said pleasure, I think, was one of the things you mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. Minimizing pain, maximizing pleasure. It's mm -hmm. very strange because, like, on the one hand, yeah, absolutely is the case. But yeah. in another way, we have probably one of the most well-equipped societies uh, globally that we've that humanity has ever seen. Yep. At the same time, there's probably never been more pain in the world. Yes, and so I can't help to think that like a, a, a world that has the technology and the financial capabilities that it has to be able to tolerate such pain. I mean, that's really my question I grapple with. Yeah. If you want to think about the thing that keeps me up at night. Yeah. Right. That's the kind of thing that keeps me up at mm -hmm. night. Right. How can I, how can we stomach that? Yeah. So, but why in the scope of human nature, why do we still 
even with all our successes and even though you know you make fun of me because i feel like you know this is the utopia because we have so many things and and everybody gets to choose as much as but they isn't can. that like and i don't mean to cut you off but isn't that like when when you have all of these options mm -hmm. doesn't that like that human behavior element come in where people start to get selfish with when you have so much to choose from, you know what I mean? It's like when you, if somebody wins the lottery, they have all this money, they start doing all kinds of stuff with it and they get crazy and they start spending money. Isn't it, that might not be a good example, but what I mean is like when you have all these options, doesn't that sort of like make the individual more selfish? It's about me. It's about, does that make sense? My question? Yeah. I mean, is that, it's that the, the thing It's like we have so many options. Because we, we're not we thinking about other people then mm -hmm. we're just thinking about ourselves, our own self-gratification at that point we're not thinking about what is best for humanity we're not thinking about let me do right by you know by brian let me do right by omar let me not you know let me be good to this part you know what i mean does right, that make right, sense right, like right, we're not yeah. thinking about that because we're so self-absorbed with what's going on and a, a lot of that in my opinion has to do with that there's just so much noise mm. you know what i mean that you you it's almost suffocating. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. and I'm speaking from like my own personal, like sometimes like, and it's, just, it's selfish when I think about it now, I'm not thinking about anything outside of myself. Does that make sense? Right. Sometimes. Right, right. I mean, I do think about other people, obviously I'm not like completely like self-centered, but does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, th I think that in this particular world that we live in and, and I think of it from a, from a Western standpoint, right. You have a, a, a drive towards how do I meet my particular needs at this particular time? And here are the options. Mm -hmm. And I think that like when we get so caught up in that particular framework, we can start to ignore uh, the external world. Yeah. Um, you know, the damage that we're doing to other folks, the damage that we might be doing to ourselves by doing damage to other folks and the world, yeah, right, right. Uh, and the like. And I think that that's um, another kind of perennial problem that we find in a kind of a modern society that is focused very much on commodification and consuming things, mm -hmm. you know, um, and enough, and to be very blunt, very superficial kinds of needs yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned something before about the need, um, minim uh, maximizing pleasure, minimizing um, pain. Um, but isn't pain, I mean, an important part of life? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and and it's something that I feel that our society is it's working towards avoiding, but it's something that is necessary. And as a consequence of creating things to pretend to try to avoid it, we're making the situations worse. Mm -hmm. So how do we mitigate um pain in our lives and utilize it to that to our advantage how do we mitigate that um i know that you're a big fan of nietzsche so uh, that's one of his main cornerstones um so what how, how how do you make sense of that well i mean i think when with pain right and i think actually maximizing pleasure and minimizing pain is a very is a is certainly something that human beings maybe gravitate towards and there's certainly psychological models that support them. i mean freud was you know, of this particular uh, framework, right? Mm -hmm. However, I think that, and then Freud also went, you know, if you read them, right, he goes to this direction as well, is that pain is really not something to be avoided, but for, 
but rather confronted. Confronted, correct. Right. You know, and, that, and that's really what we need to be doing. And mm-hmm. when we mean, and when I mean pain, uh, I don't just mean physical pain. No, you no. Know, I, I, it really, it's just sort of this very general pain, this sort of suffering aspect. And mm-hmm. that could be anything ranging from maybe a physical pain, mm-hmm. right? To it could be some kind of psychological pain that you're struggling with. It could be some kind of soul sickness, mm-hmm. right? That kind of thing. It could Ooh, wait, 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 wait. Soul, soul sickness. sickness. What yeah. is that? I like that. I've never wait heard that a minute. Before. I never heard that before. I want to. <laughs> You've I'm never sorry. heard. I, I, yeah, I, I've never mm. heard of the soul sickness before. I, I want to know. <laughs> um, I don't have a definition for you, but one of the things I think about is when, when I hear something like soul sickness, and you know, we get into some thoughts about what the soul is and yeah, yeah. those kinds of things. That could be another conversation. For, well, well, for yeah. us, yeah, for yeah. us, I want to make sure that you understand what the soul is. You know, so yeah. we, we use the Greek myth, uh, Greek philosopher's idea of the soul, which encompasses both your uh, primarily your cognitive your way of thinking thinking and also understanding the impulses that you have inside of you right so that is our definition of the word soul so we're not into a personally so that's a classic definition correct that's suke right yes. the ancient greek suke that's yeah. what that is that's mm-hmm. the sort of the life and the breath that exactly is, right good. so we're not looking at the poetic version of it all good, so right, that's right. so that just to give you a framework of where to answer the question it, you know parenthetically like when i teach psychology uh-huh. uh one of the things i do is i do word etymologies oh and so great. psychology psyche that's a latinized suke uh-huh. which is exactly what you're speaking exactly. about the soul right soul psyche yep good yeah so when i say something like soul sickness right i'm thinking about something like something beyond um that may not be purely uh, quantifiable, right? Yeah. And so, what I think there is something that's more uh, in the within the existential realm of meaning, mm. you know. So, like someone who wakes up with their soul sick, mm. maybe somebody who may not have meaning in their life. Ooh, they have the blues, right? Ooh. But it's it's one of those, you know. And we might try to fulfill it right or mm-hmm. or or maybe superficially satisfy it yeah i was just gonna say superficially right with, with like alcohol yep. things like this, self-medicate things, self-medication yeah, which a lot of yeah. our youth are actually doing right you're self-medicating and i, and I don't want to comment on that actually uh-huh. like you know in the united states you know and perhaps other parts of the world for that matter we have an opioid crisis yes right mm-hmm. and we know that opioids they're downers they're depressants mm-hmm. um they also have a a tendency to have a slight feel of euphoria, mm-hmm. at least initially when you use it. Not so much if you use it for a long period of time. And it seems to me, and I'm not going to, I don't want this to sound like I'm painting with as broad of a brush as it might sound, but it seems to me that at least part of that opioid crisis is really a meaning crisis mm-hmm. that we have. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. Right. I agree. And, and then that, that connects to kind of that sort of, soul sickness that i'm speaking about yeah but it goes back to your why it it goes back to that fork in the road it's it's you know we have a society that has a lot of material fulfillment um a a society that has a lot of um uh, ways to minimize our pain and that's what i was alluding to earlier with having so much that you just lose lose sight focus or sight of what what is but internally uh, yeah but internally we feel the lack Mm-hmm. We feel that 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 there's something missing, 
And I think that's what our youth are going through. Right. And, it, and is that what you're experiencing in your clinical work? As yeah, well? I, I wouldn't even limit to youth. I mean, oh, it's everybody. Okay. Oh, I mean, yeah, I think I it's across. Say, I think yeah. it's across all, bo- yeah. yeah. It's across all developmental um, tra- trajectories, frames, mm-hmm. et cetera. You know, it's it's really just this this crisis this crisis of meaning, right? What yeah. do I do? And you, you, I, you pointed something that was very interesting, right? That you said the fork in the road. I actually really think that life is just one perpetual fork in the road, <laughs> right? Yes. But and, the and, and that is the dilemma. <laughs> that That's the, the existential dilemma, right? Uh-huh. That's the point is like, I got to make a damn choice, yeah, right? And even if I don't make a choice, that's still a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And that could be avoidance. That could be a lot of things, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Totally. So, yeah. so the 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 existential crisis of meaning that we're facing with right now um, does that stem from the fact uh, that we no longer have uh, something to look forward to? Um, because uh, again, it's my opinion that the idea of uh, a life after death that idea does no longer hold sway in our society. Um, so we try to fill all those voids with, with material and the temporary things. So we're always, I think Emerson says that men is only happen if they're looking into the future. Right. So if we look into the future and we're looking into the abyss, what do we have left? Right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, look, there, there's a, I can get into a long top long conversation about this particular topic, but uh-huh. one of the things that that religion has always done, and what I mean by religion, I mean it's just any kind of spiritual tradition uh-huh. that's occurred in humanity. Yep, you know, since since human beings have been human beings, uh-huh. right? So not uh-huh. in the Judeo Christian Islam axis, we're talking about all across, myths, right? all myths, all, all myths, um, and uh, you know, and just also parenthetically. You know, a myth is not a falsehood. A myth no, is a story. It's a story. Right. Yes, we went yes. through this. We really, we went good, this. good. I'm glad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. not a lie. Absolutely. Yes, it's a story. It's a story. And you human know? beings, <laughs> human beings, in my view, right? Uh, human beings need a story. Yes. All right. And I think that you being a creator of your story is an important existential uh, motif. Is an important existential endeavor that that you um, that you have to embark on. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So we're going to go ahead and bring this to an end right now, um, sadly. But we do have a part two, so join us for that. Don't forget, we're on all social media outlets, so make sure that you see us there, you visit us there, and hit the like button and subscribe. Also, don't forget to check out our website at asoulsquest.com. See you next time. Bye, Soul Questers. <laughs>